create in us clean hearts, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Mother to us all. Amen. So I've got good news, bad news, and weird news. The good news is that God is longing to bring us into the fold. The bad news is we've got to choose. The weird news is that this parable might not be mainly about repentance and forgiveness, but rather about wholeness. The weird news is that I think our God is a completist. Now you may or may not know that word completist, but it refers to someone who, as one blogger writes, aims to acquire all items in a well-defined set that can, in principle, be completed. This is perhaps the ultimate goal for most collectors, to have one of everything. For example, a Led Zeppelin fan might try to complete their collection by buying every one of the band's singles and albums on vinyl. I happen to be a completist when it comes to the novels of Margaret Drabble and Kay Atkinson, the good ones, the bad ones, the forgotten ones, the middling ones. Now, it might be odd to think of God as a completist, but it's the way I can now understand the parable that we just heard. You know, the one we refer to as the prodigal son, the one that we've heard and read so many times that, as Barbara Brown Taylor would say, it has become limp from too much handling. We're sure that we know what it's about. Terrible sinfulness and waywardness, a return to God, repentance, lavish forgiveness. And of course, that is a way to interpret this amazing parable. Someone once said that if they'd only heard this parable, just this one, it would be enough to convince them of the gospel. And that, I think, is because this parable is so rich that it's endlessly interpretable. We can find new meaning each time we read or we hear it, yet somehow the church manages to boil it down to one interpretation year after year. Each time we read it, we read it as the prodigal son and we focus on that rascal of a younger son. But what if this year, this time, we didn't focus so much on him? What if instead we focused on the other son? the older son, you know, the one who gets overlooked. This parable begins memorably like a good fairy tale. There was a man who had two sons. But that's not really the beginning. The beginning is this. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Immediately after that, Jesus tells two parables, the lost sheep and the lost coin. 
Only after those stories does he get to the story of the man with two sons. And as soon as we hear that opening, there was a man who had two sons, we immediately lose sight of the older, dutiful son, and we focus on the younger, prodigal one. How he asks for his inheritance early while his father is still alive. How he takes that money and goes to a far country and wastes it all in dissolute living and then finds himself broke when a famine hits the land. Then out of desperation, that son comes to himself, it says, realizing that he could go home where he can be treated at least as well as the hired hands of his father who always have enough bread. At this point, we usually ask this question about his decision. Is he genuinely repentant or is he still selfish and just conniving to win back his father's favor to save himself? However we answer that, whatever we think, he goes home and before he can say a word, his father runs out to greet him, lavishly welcomes him with the best robe, a ring, and a party for all friends and neighbors with the fatted calf. The prodigal son is home. Celebrate. But here's the thing. What we know in the Western church as the prodigal son is known in many other cultures as the lost son. You know, like the lost coin or the lost sheep. And the biblical scholar Amy Jill Levine argues that though we hear these stories as being about repentant sinners turning back to God and being forgiven, you know, as Luke sort of insists on interpreting for us when he says there's going to be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons, Levine argues that those who first heard these parables would have heard them very differently. Upon hearing about a shepherd with a lost sheep and a woman with a lost coin, the hearers would have wondered why the person responsible would have lost what was important. They would have interpreted the joy, the party celebrating the lost found, as a celebration that the flock, the coin collection, was restored to wholeness, no longer broken, no longer incomplete. So the younger son, the prodigal son, well, it's not so clear that he's lost. After all, he left. The father knew what his son was doing. He gave him the money. He might have been grieved by his absence. He might have been worried sick when he heard word from a distant land about his son's poor choices. But the father didn't lose him. The son walked away. Still, the father's family is incomplete without him, and the father, desiring wholeness, completeness, is thrilled when he sees his younger son walking up the road. He's filled with compassion for him, and he celebrates his return. Note that the father welcomes him, kisses him, before the son can stammer out any apology or confession. Even when he does start to confess, the father brushes off his words, ordering the servants to get the party started. But in welcoming back the prodigal son, we now see which son is really lost. Just as we lost sight of him after the opening lines of the parable, there was a man who had two sons. So too did the father lose sight of his older son. 
the one who stayed at home, did his duty while his little brother took his inheritance and split. Perhaps he could have lived with being the good son, the responsible one, the, the son close to, but perhaps taken for granted by the father. But then when he comes in from the fields and he sees a party going on to welcome the spoiled, selfish younger brother home, well, he's furious. He refuses to go and he refuses to celebrate. This is the lost son, the one the father lost and didn't even know it. Sheep and coins can be lost by a moment's carelessness, but children are more complicated. They can be lost even when they're standing right in front of you. It might have taken a few years for the father to realize that the son who has always been with him, with whom he has shared his property and his whole life, that son is lost, standing outside looking in. But as soon as the father does realize it, he rushes out and he pleads with his elder son. He listens to his cries of pain when he says, Father, for all these years I've worked like a slave for you. I've never disobeyed you, and you never celebrated me. But this selfish son, my awful baby brother, him, him you celebrate. It's not so easy to find a lost son, a son who's been hurting for years. You can remind him that he's always been loved, that he's always had all that is your own. You can beg him to join a party that must happen because what was incomplete is now complete. What was broken is now whole. You can lament that the family you'd just seen made whole is now broken because you've lost the son you thought was safe at home. But sons are not sheep, and they are not coins. Children cannot be forced back into the fold. Years of anger and resentment have boiled over. The older son feels wronged. His faithfulness has not been honored. It has not brought joy to his father, unlike the return of his wastrel brother. The father never thought that his older son had been lost. His son had always been with him. Yet what the father felt as the deep, quiet joy and rhythm of a life lived well together, the older son clearly felt as an unrecognized duty. Now the older son, the lost one, the one the father has left the party, left the house to find, now that son has to decide. Join the party or stay outside? Hold on to old hurts or choose wholeness? Cling to fairness and justice or accept grace and mercy for others and offering it to others.
You see, our God is a completist, a mother hen who will gather up any little thing around her chicks or kittens or any other little critter, gather them up into her flock for she cannot stand incompleteness. She cannot stand anyone staying outside, looking in, nose pressed to the glass. Can't stand that her collection, her collection of us, we, beloved, we, broken, angry, resentful, wastrel, sinning, tax-collecting children. She can't stand it if that collection of her beloved ones is incomplete. The good news is that God will do anything to bring us, lost as we are, sinners as we are, angry as we are, into the fold. The bad news is that we're going to find lots of folks in that collection whom we don't like, folks we resent, and we're going to have to choose mercy or justice wholeness or righteousness. The weird news is that our God is a completist, wants us all, all of us, the younger and the older son, the Pharisee and the tax collector, the scribes and the sinner, you, you and me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.